0: One week into the official election campaign and the hyperbole is flying thick and fast. This is going to become the most negative election campaign in New Zealand history.
1: Oh, that's absolute nonsense. New Zealand is running out of time. It's energy like that that is going to lead us to victory in six weeks' time.
0: Kia ora ko Craig a ho, and e te pūrongo pū wiki. Welcome to Focus on Politics... I'm Craig McCulloch. Both major parties set the wheels in motion with their respective campaign launches. Labor debuting its free dental policy for under-thirties. International putting on a slick, made-for-TV affair. This election will define our future. In it for you, for all. Back on track. It's a bold vision. There is too much at stake, and it is time for something new. Both events saw attempts at disruption by fringe protesters, more successfully so at Labour, where they infiltrated the audience and then repeatedly interrupted speeches before being removed.
1: I say to our friends from Vision New Zealand, if you want real vision, it's with the Labour Party.
0: <laughs> the distractions persisted throughout the week. First national cried foul over a union attack ad, which targeted Christopher Luxon. National leader Christopher Luxon is out of touch and focused on the wealthiest few. This is a a highly orchestrated, highly political, highly choreographed, American-style hatchet job on Christopher Luxon. It's disgraceful. They should be ashamed of themselves. Well, I think they're being a bit thin skinned, to be honest. Then Labour came under criticism for spreading misinformation as its MPs were caught over egging their scare campaign.
1: They'll get rid of the minimum wage. They'll, they'll put. Uh, get rid of the minimum yeah, wage. You you at, well, well, yes. well, they'll lower I think they'll, that's that's the. Just, they'll, lower, they'll lower the minimum wage. You know, they're so selfish.
0: A lot of hate this week. And not a lot of light to try to provide a little more of that. Morning Report's Corinne Dan spoke to members of RNZ's political team at the week's close. You'll hear from me, Craig McCulloch, from Annika Smith and from RNZ's political editor, Jane Patterson.
2: I think it flags up the start of the campaign with those campaign launches. It's the official signal that things are on. Parliament has risen and while politicians have been out and about in the community, this really starts the first uh, That they're really out full time in the community, and people around the country are going to start seeing the rolling walls of politicians and media um, and police as they uh, make their way around the country. But look, we've had the campaign launches, we've had policy, we've had politicking. It's been a really busy, controversial week, and uh, both Labour and National have faced problems of their own in terms of some of the approaches that they're taking. But there's also been some really interesting policy discussion, which is a very important part of this campaign a lot of it, of course, aimed at that cost of living and Labour and National really going hard out in, time, in terms of trying to pitch their own ideas but also uh, cast doubt on the other side. Mm. Craig, the tax issue has dogged National. They,
1: in, the, in the sense mm. that they were being asked about it right into this week uh, for all the wrong reasons, uh, Christopher Luxon continuing to just say they know their numbers, they've got it all sorted, everything's fine. Yes, some big questions still there around National's tax plan,
0: particularly that foreign buyers tax, particularly also the online gambling tax, plenty of experts still questioning whether or not it will basically they those taxes will raise the revenue which they which has been promised. The question I guess is, what is the plan B? If they cannot raise that revenue. What does National do? Does it have to find money from elsewhere? Does it have to dial back its tax cuts? Does it have to borrow more, for example? And of course, borrowing for tax cuts, uh, economists will tell you that, that that is inflationary. Now, there are definitely still questions there. National uh, seems to be hoping that it, that they will just go away if they keep saying their numbers are rock solid. But I, I'm not sure that they're going well, to. Well, Annika,
1: wait. they're being helped in a sense by Labor because they're making some missteps there with some, you know, with with misinformation in some of their uh, social media advertising. Uh, on top of a of a CTU campaign which was separate to them. Uh, But that has made life a little bit difficult for Chris Hipkins this week.
3: Yeah, it's felt quite scrappy, I think, when we've we've got the campaign kicking off in the first week. Parties want to be speaking about policies. As Jane said, they've launched their campaign. And then you've got politicians going, well, you're being mean to me. I was at that stand-up on the black and white tiles when Chris Bishop came down National's campaign chair and said, look, this isn't a personal attack. The CTU ad campaign's a personal attack on Chris Hipkins. And it just felt quite... quite a flat attack Um, I don't think it played well for them because they the next day had to be defending having run their own personal attacks um before, So it, it's felt quite scrappy in that respect, and I think parties are, are not talking about the policies and the real issues, like the cost of living I, crisis. I think it's worth making the distinction between uh, these
0: candidates who who seem to be just making things up or they're putting out misinformation. Clearly that's inappropriate. And then on the other hand, you have these claims of a, of a uniquely negative or personal campaign, and I think that is probably overblown as well. Yes, the CTU campaign is personal. Yes, it's negative. Personally, I don't actually think it's necessarily all effective, but it's not outside the bounds
1: of normal. No, the surprising thing was just perhaps, really, when you boil it down, negative ads like that have been pretty common. It was just the fact that it was on the front page of a newspaper.
0: Yeah, indeed. I think that that, that Labour, um, there are bigger questions, really, for Labour around those candidates outright saying things that increased. Willie Jackson saying National Act would scrap the minimum wage, then going on to say that they would reduce it, obviously that's wrong. Andrew Little saying that they would flog off the schools and sack all the teachers. Obviously, again, hyperbole, not not true. Duncan Webb, in his newsletter this week, he was saying National would abolish Matariki. I mean, these claims are just not grounded. In fact, I think National and Act are right to feel aggrieved about that. It's not OK. National has labelled it desperation. And I think that there's probably something to that.
1: Jane, this is desperation. <clears throat> Interesting, because we've seen a number of polls, not, neither of the two big. TV polls, which tend to perhaps be the most dominant, but a new poll has arrived on the scene—a fresh water, fresh water strategy or something—that uh, the post is running, but also a couple of other polls too. Roy Morgan, uh, what do we make of the of the picture they are showing us?
2: They are showing national starting to consolidate that vote, both of them within the mid thirties, quite consistent. Uh, findings for National, but look, bad news for Labour. Um, in one, the post-freshwater strategy had it on 26. Now, Chris Hipkins dismissed that about saying, look, it, it didn't really cover off. Um, it, it's a little bit old, so he hasn't picked up the, the campaign and that sort of thing. But um, Talbot Mills, the um, the commercial poll, also having Labour on 30. But the interesting thing about this is that no one's uh, putting a government together uh, by the, with their support parties, either, you know, in the National's case, Act, New Zealand first there, over the 5% threshold in both of those polls. And uh, that's going to be the interesting one. He uh, that, that vote is consolidating again in both of those ones, New Zealand first on 6 and 5.4, mm. and National would need New Zealand first to put that government together.
1: Annika, interesting uh, Axe polling. So you had the extreme of an 18% in the Roy Morgan poll other polls have got them down at 10 there's obviously somewhere in the middle, maybe there but they are obviously resonating with a certain section David Seymour coming under a bit of pressure too uh, particularly over candidates
3: Yeah, David Seymour is, I think many would have you know, observe that he's right at home in front of the camera. He's, he's you know, very comfortable. He performs well. But we saw him in a stand-up, a media stand-up this week, where he came across as sort of, you know, it was out of character. He was on the defensive. He was being asked, or he was, he came to the stand-up wanting to pitch his, his policy for regulations. And he was asked by TVNZ about the fact that four candidates on its Axe list had dropped off for various reasons, some for making extreme comments instead of just answering the question and putting up a defence or a vote of confidence in his party's vetting processes, he went on the attack, attacked the journalist, attacked the question line, and I think came across as, you know, a little petulant or or risking sort of, you know, losing his cool over this and made the story about him and his party as opposed to, you know, speaking about his policy. It was out of character and, like you said Acts voting quite well are the likely governing partner if national leads the next government. And David Seymour can expect that the scrutiny on his candidates, on his party's vetting processes, will only get um, greater. So he'll have to pick his battles. And sometimes it's not about winning the argument. It's just about answering the questions, as many of our party leaders do. They answer answer questions that they don't like all the time.
1: well, we should note, too, that David Seymour uh, has de- declined offers office to come on Morning Report. That's always open, though. David, if you're listening, you're well, welcome he, to come on the it's programme. It's not the only – I mean, he's also
0: made some other misjudgments, too, lately. I mean, the so-called joke about the Ministry of Pacific Peoples and, and his response to that. This is a man who could very well be Deputy Prime Minister in a few months, and there will be, or could be, a number of ACT MPs around the Cabinet table. So, like Annika says, it's not unreasonable to be asking these questions. It's not unreasonable scrutiny. All these polls,
1: I it. should. Uh, Winston's back, right? They're all coming through over, over five, aren't they? I mean, that seems back. to be baked in,
2: is it? That's right, and I think in terms of that, we've been watching uh, the the rise of New Zealand First over the last couple of months, and as I said, it's really starting to consolidate. I think uh, the, the real uh, warning here is for Labour and I just think that ministerial chaos um, combined with the cost of living and things like education, health, crime, everywhere you look there are problems and the, I think they're struggling to sell the message that they are competent and that they have the answers. I mean we had one um, story yesterday that in the budget uh, they, they if you read those documents you would think that the um, public transport subsidy would be for total mobility users as well for public transport. That is not the case. So they have problems with their credibility as well. And coming back to, you know, the tax cuts for National, I think that's their bugbear at the moment – Pretty much when you strip it all away, the they could, in terms of those tax laws, they could uh, tax ban, they could pass laws and override any of those tax agreements or anything that they want. It's really the political and diplomatic mm. fallout. There are still questions about whether they could raise the um, the revenue of it, but they also can't muck around with any of those trade deals. So I don't think that question's been fully answered for National, but it doesn't seem to be hurting well, it them. Seems it doesn't seem to be resonating that much. It with, seems with to me there
1: is a, a, a bit lacking in the area of of the economy. We had the Business New Zealand uh, conference earlier and the finance spokespeople were there. There seems to be this narrative that somehow the major parties are ignoring some major economic headwinds that are heading towards New Zealand in terms of China, in terms of the global economy uh, and New Zealand's Outlook. We get a read on the books this next week, isn't it? That yes, Tuesday. pre foo this opening of the books. Is this going to be a rope dope scenario? Have we been we've been talked into a situation where they've been it's going to look disastrous and then all of a sudden it doesn't? What are we thinking here? How how much how important is it and in fact how necessary is it that we have a good debate about the economy and where it is heading, not just about cost of living? It is important.
0: I mean, I, I don't think the pre is going to make for pretty viewing. Um, I think everyone knows that the forecasts are going to be much worse. That the revenue estimates are going to be lower, whether or not we have been talked into expecting that um, based on the politicians. So I guess we'll find out on Tuesday. We have seen this week both Labor and National talking about the economy, but it has been at that high level. It has been um, rather, and, you know, and, and both
1: sides pointing to the statistics. I mean, they, well, the problem is that they, they both say, "Oh, we want to grow the economy. <laughs> oh, we're going to, we're going and they both want to do a trade deal, trade deal with India. Okay, Labor's come on board with that, but
0: there doesn't seem to be much detail. Yes, uh, and I, I, to be honest, I don't expect that we're going to be seeing much more detail this campaign. I think both parties are trying to stay out of that. Uh, ultimately, National has the advantage here because the incumbent government is under pressure with high inflation. Um Yes, these numbers are important, uh, particularly Labour keeps talk, pointing to low unemployment, for example, and, and the bounce back since COVID. But what matters is how people feel. That's what matters. Yes, high level figures, they're important. Yes, pre matters. But people are going to vote based on their personal experience. And if they are at the supermarket checkout, if they're at the petrol pump, if they're at the bank and they're feeling the pinch,
1: that's more likely to influence how they're going to vote. Uh, we should raise the Ikara-Ravati uh, electorate. You've been looking at that, Annika.
3: Yeah, I spent a bit of time in that electorate. It's it's huge. I just popped um, up to the the southern part of that Māori electorate. It goes from the top of East Cape down to Wellington. I went to a debate in Upper Hutt. It's a two candidate race there, Mecca Whaiteri and Kushla Taingaire manual. Super interesting, given it's sort of the scene of a major Labour scandal. You had Mecca Whaiteri completely blindsiding everyone, her constituents, her um, former boss, her former colleagues, her, the, the Labour Māori caucus. She is running on a Te Pāti Māori ticket. Te Pāti Māori have come second, runner-up in the last two elections in that electorate, but it is a calculated risk. As to whether or not voters will will cross and transition with Mecca to Te Party Maori Kushler is a an impressive candidate, and up at that debate in Upper hut um it's it 's very much a left left field race right you 've got labour and the Te party maori and they 're both quite collegial i mean there were There were claps and smiles and laughs, and you sort of would almost forget that it was like you know like a proper sort of head to head race. I get the sense that their elbows are sharp, they had little digs at each other, and Kushta is really pushing this well you know if you there 's safety in a major party ticket versus you know the risk that Mecca has taken going out following her, as she puts it, calling to mm. join an indigenous movement um, after serving for 10 years as Labour's rep for that region.
1: Jane, do you think the Te Tapati Māori could yet be critical in this campaign? Do you think there's the chance of an overhang?
2: Maybe, yeah, yeah, potentially. So there are three seats in play. Um Tehuuru, um the co leader Demingariwapaka, uh Rawari Waititi and um, Wairiki and he won that very narrowly, and of course Ikaroa Rafati, which um now with Mika Waititi there um is absolutely in play for them. And of course with the Māori Party, because their party vote is low is, is low, they really rely there's no sign that they're going to get over the five percent threshold, for example. So they rely on getting those seats. So if for example they get uh, you know 1.2 percent or in that and then they get three seats which would be a big ask but you know that, that's all all on the all possible um then they could come back with more electorate seats than their party vote that allows increases them. the size of parliament it increases the size of parliament it also makes it harder for um one side or other to get the majority mm. potentially as well
0: and that's the first week done. That was RNZ's political editor Jane Patterson, as well as Annika Smith, Corin Dan, and me, Craig McCulloch. That's Focus on Politics. Thank you for joining us, Matila.